listening to First Church Charlotte. All right. Everyone glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Everyone glad to be in the house of the Lord today? That's right. I know Barry's glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to introduce some First Steps people to you. Uh, John and Gwen, wave your hands back here. This is John and Gwen. They have come through First Steps. They're uh, wanting to become members of our church. I want you guys to get to know them. If you hadn't got to know them, they're lovely people. And uh, so I wanted to, I want you to uh, get to know some of these people. It's my privilege to get to know uh, many, many people. And I'm trying to do a, uh, be a little more active on introducing the, the people I'm getting to know to all of you. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. How about you? So uh, today I am uh, uh, honored to to be in the house and preach to all of you wonderful people. And it is a, the honor and the joy of my life. Uh, why don't you turn with me in the scripture? We're going to read from the book of Mark. If you would like to stand and meet me in Mark chapter number 12, we will read one passage together. Uh, we actually covered this recently in our Bible study where we are surveying the Gospel of Mark. And it's something I've thought a lot about since then and decided to use it as a kind of a context for the teaching today. Let's read at verse number 29. Jesus answered to him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Somebody say amen. Amen. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so uh, this passage here uh, is uh, very central to the gospel, central to understanding the heart of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the scribe uh, agrees with what Jesus has said, isn't it great when someone agrees with Jesus? Let's him know he was doing a good job. Jesus, good job. Uh, Jesus says this to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. So I am preaching authentic authentic, getting it right, because all of us want to be real Christians. Amen? We want to get it right. So before you're seated, smile at your neighbor and say, I'm glad the pastor's talking about this because I've been worried about you. (laughs) Amen. So I told the 9 a.m. service this, and now I have a story to tell you. I love people to respond when I'm preaching. I love people to say amen and hallelujah, glory to God. Uh, you can say whatever you want to say. You can shout. That's the best I've ever heard in my life. I particularly like that one. Or, oh, mighty anointed man of God, speaketh briskly upon thy people. I like that one, too. Uh, you can even jump up and say, preach that holy scripture, white boy. I do not care. <laughs> So I'll tell you a funny story. I, I don't know where that came from, but this morning I, I, I was just in a mood. So actually, I know where it came from. I was so glad to be back with all you folks uh, over the weekend or the, over the end of the week. I was at another church, great church, great people, um, beautiful, everything beautiful, wonderful. Uh, but the, the, uh, they were very, they wouldn't laugh at my jokes. So I don't know how they're going to heaven. Um, if, they, if they don't laugh at my jokes, I'm just not sure that they're going to make it. Y'all pray for them that they'll make heaven their home. Um, no, but... But it's great church, and uh, they're real kind of ordered and structured. And when I got back here with all you crazy, wild people, I was like, that's my people. Thank God. <laughs> we can cut up a little bit. And so I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord with all of you, and it's an honor to be here. So a uh, real quick story. Uh, a zoo, what small zoo, uh, they had two exhibits and uh, that were very popular and drove traffic to the small town zoo. One of them was a... Uh, a large uh, gorilla, and the other exhibit was a, a, a lion, a giant 
male African lion with a huge mane and all of that. And uh, people would come in here. But in this small town zoo, the, the gorilla got sick and died. And a uh, man that was really going to hurt the revenue. They had another one coming from a larger zoo. Uh, but what they, they they called in a man who had applied for a job. And they said, look, uh, we'd like to give you a job. But um, we need you for the first few days to put on this gorilla suit. We have a gorilla suit. And pretend to be a gorilla while we're waiting for the real gorilla to get here. And um, it's very important. That drives the revenue of this little this little, this little zoo. Well, he didn't want to do it. You know, no one really... I mean, have you seen a gorilla? Those things are impressive. I mean, no, nobody, you know, really. But he said, if that's the only way I can get a job, I'll do it. So he put on the gorilla suit, and he walked out there, and the kids from the small town went crazy, man. They loved the, the gorilla. And, and he started really getting into it, and he started roaring and beating his chest. And so, and he just was, man, the kids loved it. And he's getting more and more in the spirit of it. And he, he saw there was a swing the gorilla used, and he would jump off one part of his habitat, grab this pole, and swing. And and go and, and he was a girl. He was good at this. Well, the man was all caught up in the moment and excited. He decided he would do the same thing. Well, he gets up there. He jumps off, grabs the swing, and and it swings him way up in the air. But you know, he's not a gorilla. He's a he's a guy, and he can't hold on. And right at the the apex of his swing, he lost his grip because you know he's not a gorilla. And he flies over the wall and he lands in the lion exhibit. <laughs> And he freezes, and the lion looks at him. He looks at the lion, lion looks at him, and the lion growls and takes a step toward him. Well, he takes a step back. And he thinks, you know, I'm in trouble. Uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, I, I better call for help. But if I call for help, I'll lose my job. You know, I will have ruined the show. They think I'm a gorilla. And he backs up, and then the lion roars. And he can't take it anymore. He screams, help! The lion says, shut up. You'll get both of us fired. <laughs> So how do we know? How do we know that we are the real deal, right? Uh, the world doesn't need any more fake Christians. Can I have an amen? The world needs real Christians. How do we know that we're the real thing? Um, if you've spent any of the Lord, any of your time serving the Lord, if you've been around church much, if you like me, grew up in church and uh, went to church camps and. Uh, you, 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 at some point, in some point of your walk with God, you, you, you actually begin the process of, of the true discipleship of your heart, not just the label. When you're young, you're kind of a Christian. Your mom and dad's a Christian. Oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you, you know, and you get older and you realize how deceitful the human heart is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you start thinking, am I, am I really, am I doing this right? Um, and then if you are exposed at all to the larger Christian world, you, you discover the fact that everybody has opinions about everything. And churches define themselves by their culture, and that's inevitable. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's a human thing. And um, some, some churches, uh, meaning well, they begin to mistake their particular church culture for the quote-unquote truth. Uh, we're not talking doctrine. We're talking the way of doing things. We're not talking about the... Uh, the, 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 the doctrine, we're talking about how we live out the doctrine in a generational context. context. And so um, all of this is real. And you go to some churches, like I evangelized for uh, nearly a decade and, and uh, exposed to so many different churches. So many, and you'd go to, you, you go to one church and uh, let's say that they are a, they're, they're a, they're a word te- a church and the, the pastor there is a particularly good Bible teacher. And so we invest a lot in this. And every pastor, you, you all should know this, Every pastor has a certain toolbox they have to work with. They work with their toolbox. Um, you, you, uh, you, you see them, and if, if you, uh, some of you have attended other churches, that pastor will have a different toolbox than I do, and I'll have a different toolbox than he does. And the Lord uses our respective abilities and does a larger work. But it, it, a lot of times it'll feel different. If you go to a 
church with the, the, the pastor as a teacher. Um, I used to enjoy preaching more than teaching. Full disclosure, I probably enjoy teaching more than preaching now. Um, but you, you go and, and that church becomes kind of like a, a founded, grounded word church. We are, we know the word, brother. Um, and, you know, if that, if that church isn't careful, they, they start to kind of look down their nose at the shallow, uh, shout, run, and holler churches. Well, all they, they're not a word church. But then the, the, that church says, but we're a spirit church. Y'all are dead. And we're the real thing because we shout, holler, and run. Um, ideally, and truthfully, I want to do it all. <laughs> uh, but you understand how this, and, and so this, this church decides they have the real Holy Ghost. And the other church is, doesn't. Uh, or your neighbor goes to a different denomination and they decide they are the real Christians and you are kind of suspect or, you know, verse visa. And this, this goes on. And how do we know that we're not just a label? How do we know that we are real Christians? I want to be the real thing. And so uh, in the scripture, there's this, this, this passage we read uh, where it, it's actually told several times. There's, in, in the gospel of Mark, the story, the, the idea, the truth is presented twice. Uh, first, uh, the rich young ruler comes in chapter number 10. Um, good master, what must I do for eternal life? Uh, and then in chapter 12, one of the scribes brings the same issue to Jesus, and Jesus answers, this is correct. Uh, I love God. I love people. These are the greatest commandments. Uh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, Mark presents this teaching moment to us. Um, I think Luke does. I don't remember if John does. That give us this, this, this picture of the, the young ruler. Uh, and so we see this these individuals, they're trying to get it right. They, how do you know you're right? I'm not just talking about salvation. Um, I actually believe that salvation is a beginning and not an end. I believe salvation is, a, is, is really a beginning. Uh, salvation uh, begins as you, you begin approaching God. You begin believing. You begin this journey with God. But honey, you've got a long way to go. Somebody say, yes. And after you've been serving God a good few years, the, the trials are different. It's not the same trials. You may no longer be tempted to go out and run crazy with the crazy friends you used to have, but that doesn't mean your heart is not ever seeking to serve itself rather than humble itself to the will and purpose of God. And we're always looking to, uh, as it were, meet our needs rather than letting others' needs be met through us. And there's this, this, this challenge. We want to get it right. And it's not as simple as a formula. It's not even as simple as a doctrinal argument. There is a journey involved here. A calling of Almighty God to you for spiritual intimacy and spiritual relationship. And salvation is that gift of God. It is a beginning. It's an introduction. It's a spiritual foyer. But then God is invested in you. God has a plan for you. God has a work for you. And you begin the process of growing in God and growing in ministry and being equipped for good ministry. Can I have an amen? amen. And if we stop that process, it's not really necessarily a salvational issue. That's a beginning. It's about are we really representing the work that Jesus Christ called his people to do? Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself, that's the beginning, take up a cross. Cross is missional purpose. Jesus doesn't carry a cross because it's a, a, a pretty addition to a wardrobe. It's missional purpose. It's bread upon the water. It's my death for your life. It's my sinless blood for your sinful excess. It's missional purpose. And God invites all of us to live a life like that. And that should make us think for a moment. Are we the real deal? Or are we just kind of, you know, a form of the real deal? And so how do we reassure ourselves? Well, 
this story of the rich young ruler, I, th- I think, is, is, is very instructive. And why? Because first when he comes and Jesus says, asks us about the commandments, and, and, and uh, he knows the commandments. He, he knows the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. He knows what he should be doing. And so the first thing he does is he looks back. He looks back to his spiritual father, Moses. He looks back to the traditions of the elders that have carried to him this precious law, these these writings, whether they are the history or the law of of Moses or or the prophetic writing and teaching or the the psalms of worship and praise or the wisdom uh, literature of Solomon. And they've all been carefully guarded by good godly men and brought to him. He looks back and he thinks of those commandments and he thinks of Moses' law and Jesus asks him to do so. Do you know the law? Have you kept the law? What's the first thing this individual does? He connects to what has been. The first thing most of us do when we're trying to answer this question, am I the real deal? Is we look back. We connect. Most of us have spiritual influences in our life. And it's, a, it's, it's, really, it's really quite striking how many people uh, really, uh, the, the, they... they they, they reassure themselves that they're a real Christian by looking back to people whom have had a profound impact upon their life. And they reassure themselves. And if they do something like, you know, their, their, their mother did it, then they're reassured. I, I must be the real deal because my mom did it this way. This is where it all begins. This is the first step. I, I'm, I'm the real deal because I'm connected to the law of Moses. And I know those Ten Commandments. That's the first question. What do you know? Do, are, and that is the truth of all of us. It is, it's easy, and this is just uh, full disclosure. It, it's easy for me to, just like all of you, to, to reassure myself with a type of um, comparison to religious celebrity in my life. So you take someone who has influenced uh, me a lot, say say someone like um, uh, the late J.T. Pugh uh, influence on me, and and I, so I compare myself, and I, I, I if I'm not if I'm not um, you know if I'm not careful, I, I I find reassurance that I'm the real thing by trying to find somebody like that and say, well, they were like this, and I'm like this, and they did this, and I do this, and therefore I'm reassured by association. Now this young ruler probably can say the same thing of his people of the house uh, the, 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 the faith of the Jews they have their scholars they have their great men they have their teachers they have their prophets all the way back to Moses we as Christians lay claim to much of that same tradition but we just lay claim on the side of the of, of, of the Bible the, the scriptures we take those Hebrew scriptures as Christian scriptures but they have a a whole tremendous array of tradition and writing and commentary way beyond just the Hebrew Bible. And they, they see those men as, as holy men and, and, and they're righteous men. And they have to be right because they're doing it like he did it. And they have to be right because they're doing it like that one taught it. And so they're reassured. The first step for all of us is really to compare ourselves. And, and, and it's not wrong. It's, it's, it's why Paul can say, uh, not simply follow me because it's not enough to follow follow a person, but to follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Christ is the goal. I'm looking at him uh, and you're trailing behind me. And this is, this is not wrong. This is, this is the first step. The second thing that happens, uh, Jesus asks this man, have you kept these laws? And this man has to think, how have I done? And he says, yeah, I have, I have kept those laws. So the first thing we look back, the second thing we do, we look in. We look inward. Our heart matters. It will not matter what we do if our heart is wrong. Do you see? This is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount, where Jesus teaches a religious crowd and tells them, look, there is, there is the matter of the heart. It's not enough for you to just follow a law. You see, here's the reality. The law given to them by God teaches them if they understand what Jesus would say, that they cannot keep the law. So what does the law teach them? They cannot keep the law. That's why law is not given by itself. It's given beside sacrifice. 
Do you see? You can't keep the law. That's why every year you make sacrifice. It's not just if you've been bad that you make sacrifice. If you think you've kept the law, you still make sacrifice. The law is given beside sacrifice. And it's a visceral sacrifice that shocks your senses. Uh, that sacrifice sacrifice of an animal. And the, 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 the sheer, uh, shall I say... Uh, shocking nature of the blood and it's so you understand there is a price for sin this is the story it's to teach you you can't keep the law and Jesus comes and takes it a step further it's not enough to follow the law of Moses you have to consider your heart you have heard it said in times past that you shall not commit adultery but I say unto you if you even look at a woman with adultery in your heart lust in your heart it is a a moral transgression that is of a equivalence on the matter of the heart. It's not equivalent in the matter of the flesh. It is equivalent in the matter of the heart. So first we look back. You must be connected to this gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we know we are the real thing? Well, I would suggest to you, the first thing you need to do is make sure you deeply understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I have a big amen? You need to understand and you need to confess that Jesus Christ is your only hope for redemption. There is no salvation in the flesh. He is our substitute. You need to connect to that. You need to put that in your heart. You need to testify of that. Then, having done that, having been connected to that gospel, you need to walk through the book of Acts in your life. You need to learn what it means to repent of your sins. You need to discover the power of spiritual regeneration when you take on the name of Jesus in water baptism. Oh, come on for sure. You need to take on the name. It is a regeneration to your soul. You need to discover the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to discover. You need to look back. You need to get connected. How did the first church do it? You know why this church is named First Church? It's not because we're the first church in Charlotte. We're the first Pentecostal church in Charlotte, arguably, but we are not the first church. We didn't name First Church because we're the first church. We're First Church because we try to do it like the first church did it. That means you go to the book of Acts, and on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel. He says you ought to repent. You ought to be baptized in the name, the saving name of Jesus and you ought to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Look back. When you have done that, when you have done that and you have discovered that freedom of uh, God's grace in your life, being set free from the bondage of sin and guilt and shame. Now you begin to walk with God, and you begin to live good works by grace. I did not say, and this is important, don't have time for it, but it's important, I did not say good works by law. Uh, let me try to explain the difference very, very quickly. We must do good works by grace, because our good works are not a plan of salvation. Grace is our plan of salvation. And when when you do good works by law, you end up with a Pharisee culture whereby you look around and you feel better than other people because you did them by law. The letter killeth, the spirit gives life. You don't do good works by law, you do them by grace. Everything you do is a sense of thanksgiving. If it had not been for God, I wouldn't have what I have. If it had not been for God, I could not do what I do. If it had not been for God, I could not go where I'm going. I'm blessed today. You see, when you do good works by grace, you can live good all week long. You cannot cuss out your wife when she acts like she would like you to cuss her out. Praise God. My wife is driving today, so I don't have anyone to check me after church. I might as well get crazy, right? <laughs> Did I tell you all this morning about Travis Pickett yelling out at a quiet... Remember that crazy thing I said, if you just, whatever you want to say, you know, preach that Holy Scripture, white boy. Um, uh, he, 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 he waited till a quiet moment, and he hollered out, preach that Holy Scripture, white boy. <laughs> and I was excited, because it's the first time he's ever said amen to anything, so it works. <laughs> So, so you're getting your life organized. You're getting your life. I'm sorry. It's a play on an old song. Anyway, back when I was a sinner. Enough about yesterday. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
So, um, um, so, so here you are. You're trying to get your life straightened out. You do good. You don't get mad at your wife. Your, your credit score is up at an appropriate level. Your life is organized. You're blessed. You live good all week long. But you're doing it by grace, not by law. So when you bring your good works done by grace in the house of God, you can sit down by an alcoholic and in your spirit say, I'm no better than you are. Why? Every good thing you did was done in grace. You can sit by someone from the lowest state of sin and you say in your spirit, they have just as much right to be here as I do because everything I did was a good work in grace. That's why, that's why the epistle writer says we are administrators of God's grace. That's the word in the Bible. We are administrators of God's grace. You administrate grace when everything you do, it's a good testimony. Your credit score is fantastic. You drive a fine car. You've got money in the bank, 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 bank. You're doing good and you come in the house to God and rather than feeling better than anybody else, rather than feeling more righteous than anybody else, you look around and you find the weakest person there and you think in your spirit, but by the grace of God, I'm no better than anybody. So we looked back. We've got the gospel. We walked through the book of Acts. We look back. Now we look inside. Good works by grace. How am I doing? I have to be careful. My heart is desperately wicked. It will always deceive me with vanity. My heart will always trick me into hurting other people with my mouth. My heart will always make me think I'm a better Christian than I really am. My heart will deceive me. It'll make me prioritize myself. You look within. How am I doing? Am I keeping it? If you want to be an authentic Christian, you've got to look back. You've got to look within and you have to get that right. But, but, that's not the end of the story. After you have looked back, do you know the law? Yes. You got to look inward. Have you kept the law? Yes. Now what? I want you. The Bible says Jesus saw this man and loved him and gives him this opportunity. You're blessed in this life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be blessed spiritually, not just blessed of this life. If you'll give what you have to the poor, come and follow me. This is an invitation to discipleship. I don't mean just random kind of support crew setting up the PA, although thank God for the guys who set up the PA. God bless Austin. I told him this morning, he's, the Lord's going to give him a great wife and he's going to have a round dozen of children. <laughs> And he said, praise God, he was willing to do his part. And so, um, <clears throat> that's funny. And so, thank God. I'm not, he's not simply being invited to a support group. He is being invited to the inner circle. Come and follow me. But here's the problem. This man is reassured that he's a real religious person. The real deal, not a fake. When he looks back, he's connected. Yes. He looks inside. I've kept the law. But here's the problem. He cannot get to the final stage of real, and that is missional purpose. That's the cross on Jesus' shoulder. That is when everything God has done for you flows through you to others. And that's the test that the New Testament writers give us to reassure ourselves whether or not we're the real deal. That's the test. In fact, Jesus says at the very end of his time with his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples because you have love one to another. I want to explain something very quickly that I, has just been blowing my, blowing my brains out recently. Um, uh, you know, so much of religious writing is is written in the tone and the style of the dramatic and the glorious, the spiritual and the, the fantastical. Um, if you read most of the Old Testament, um, you will find prophetic uh, writing and, and a mythic style. Now, now understand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying those stories are myth. That's what critics and unbelievers say. That's not what I'm saying. But in a myth, there's a style where people have special powers and they are larger than life and they are mythic. 
And so much of our understanding of, of patriarchs and prophets and kings, they are larger than life. They are mighty and they're powerful. And Gideon's having conversations with the soldier of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're seeing walls fall flat. It is fantastical and it is glorious and it, is, it has this language of the mythic. But when Jesus comes, he uses none of that language. He teaches in a different style known as a parable. What's unique about a parable? There are no special powers in parables. There are no mighty soldiers in parables. Parables are teaching stories about ordinary people. And Jesus opens his heart and spirit as though to say, if you're going to understand the kingdom of God, you're going to have to see it in the terms of ordinary people choosing the right thing, doing the right thing, day after day after day after day. If the only way you can follow me is if I can tell you this glorious story of a Marvel superhero with mythic powers, you're not going to last very long around here. Let me tell you about a woman who lost her coins. They had been a gift to her. She needed to find them. Is that dramatic enough for you? Or are you only satisfied when there's manna coming down from heaven? Jesus refused to teach with the style or the voices of the, of the mythic or the glorious or the magnificent uh, type of understanding and insight into, into the kingdom of God. And so it is that when we get to the New Testament, I'm almost done. I want I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. John is going to try to settle some issues having lived longer than any of the other disciples. He's the last living disciple. He spent many years in Patmos. He's finally brought back through a change in politics. And his last years are lived as an elder, very old, among the church. And he writes his last writings. And he has several problems he's dealing with. The biggest problem in the church is, is Judaism. Can, uh, well, let me shorten it to say this. The, the, the Judaism uh, uh, attack on Christianity is really the issue of whether or not Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough or do we have to also follow Mosaic law? And the Jews feel so passionately about this. The reason why uh, Paul will be killed literally is over this issue. The reason why he goes to Roman chains is over this issue. Literally, Roman soldiers save his life from Christian Jews who are going to kill him in the temple, uh, and he spends years in prison after this, and this is a huge deal. You think we have church problems. Um, we, well, every church has church problems. Uh, most of us just vote and with our feet, and then we, we get mad, and we you know uh, pout long enough to see if we'll have our way, and then if we don't get our way, we leave. You know, that's, they used to kill each other. Thank God we've at least come through that. <laughs> Although I occasionally meet somebody who thinks they're still back there. Anyway, uh, Paul's, uh, John is going to answer this issue. And, and when you read his epistles, you see him dealing with this. But secondly, the issue of Gnosticism. Was Jesus really flesh? Or was he just an emanation of God? The reason why this matters is because if Jesus wasn't flesh and blood, there was no blood covering. There was no sacrifice. And the Lord did not fulfill his own justice. He circumvented his own justice. That's the problem with Gnosticism. There is no blood covering in Gnosticism. There is just this kind of angelic being who leads you to a new path, and thus there is no satisfaction of justice. And so John is going to deal with that. Let me direct your attention to 1 John chapter number 3. And he is going to say, he is going to say a few things here on this issue in, uh, in the end of John chapter number 3. Uh, I will read at verse number 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Somebody say confidence. How do we know we're the real thing? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we kept his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in us and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And then the beginning of chapter number four, John is going to deal with this issue of how do we know we're real Christians? 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are of God. There are many false prophets. By this, you'll know if somebody is uh, of God. He's, del- he's speaking to the issue of the Gnosticism uh, uh, false doctrine that's in the church. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He's dealing with Gnosticism. Every spirit that does not confess that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard is coming as now already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. And he who knows God listens to us, and who, he who is not from God does not listen. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, Paul, excuse me, John is going to continue this same issue of how do we know we're the real thing? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, a covering for his, our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and one who abides in love abides in God. And God's abide in him. Now I want you to notice verse 17. We're still dealing with this issue. How do we know who's the real? How do we know what's the fake? By this, love is perfected in us. So that, I, I want you to get this. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. You see, that's the issue right there. That's the issue. How do I know I'm the real deal? How do I know if God's love has changed me? You see, we can have understanding of the law of God, but miss the spirit of God. That's what the Pharisees did. They knew all about the law of God, but missed the spirit of God. You see, we can have all of the zeal of the zealot, but have none of the spiritual love and embrace of the true follower of Jesus Christ. And so John says, would you like to have confidence on the day of judgment? Why? Because his love is perfected in us. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. If you're filled with God's love, it should reassure you that you're the real deal. You see, here's the thing. First we look back. Then we look inward. Then we look outward. And we accept in our life missional purpose and we seek to love others as testimony of God's love we seek to include others as testimony of God's spirit we seek to embrace others if you need reassurance that you're authentic and you want to have confidence on the day of judgment I want you to see how the New Testament writers they're not giving you a test of purity they're giving you the love of they're giving you the test of love because love never never fails we love verse 19 
because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that one who loves God should love his brother also. How would you like to feel authentic? Don't just look back to what your grandmother did. Start there. Are you connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you connected to the book of Acts? Are you connected now inward? Are you playing a game with God? Are you just going through emotion? Do you really not have a commitment to a personal relationship with God? That's the look inward. But the real reassurance of the New Testament comes when having looked to our connection and having considered the deceit potential vanity of our own heart and corrected ourselves we then are filled with the love of God for the world the Lord has sent us to reach and to love and by this shall all men know you are my disciples that you have love one for another and so finally I want to remind you that the natural evidence that you are God's individual is the fruit of the Spirit. Yes? So I'm going to read these for you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Not one of those are about being powerful, are they? Not one of those are about mythic language, is it? Not one of those has anything to do with seeing angels. Or demons. Now, I see lots of demons, but I don't see many angels. That's a joke. Just kidding. This is how we know we are His. Because our changed nature testifies to his truth. Your changed nature testifies to his truth. Let's all stand. I want to be real. How about you? I want to be authentic. I want to be the real deal. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't you step out of the chair you're in right now? Let's let's come to the front as we do on Sundays. And we're going to spend some time in prayer here together. I know I taught today rather than preached a whole lot, but I don't mind. I, I enjoy doing both. I want us to take some time and I want us to consider just how much missional purpose is in our life. Because I want to challenge all of you to embrace the call of God upon your life. I want to challenge all of you to see a world beyond your world and see hearts beyond your hearts and see tears beyond your tears and embrace that world and pray for that world and love that world. Not of the things of the world, but the souls that are are filling that world. All across this house, would you pray with me right now? Would you consider with me right now? Lord Jesus, we want to be your church. We want to be your people. We want to truly get it right, oh God. We want to truly get it right, Lord. We want our lives to be the testimony of our spiritual regeneration, oh Father. We want your anointing to work upon us and work through us, God. I pray for the person here today who they have the call, but they have it the confidence. Lord, I'm praying that you would work in their heart right now. They feel the call upon them, but they haven't the confidence to step forward in faith. I'm praying right now, Lord Jesus, that you would awaken within the confidence that they are your people. They can make a difference. They can make a change. They can walk with you. They can stand with you. They can be a light shining in a dark society. They can be an embrace of love to a pain-filled and lonely world. God, I pray you would fill your people with confidence and passion for the mission that is ever before us, for the calling that is ever upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. If it's appropriate, why don't you find someone nearby and join with them? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
quick, real quick. I want you to hear me. If you have never gone through the steps of being brought into the family of God, I want to make sure you understand that there needs to be repentance in your life. You know basically what repentance is. It is the sincere regret of sin and the with the ability, the best ability you have, the turning away from that sin. God will give you the power over that sin to have victory. Can I have a big amen? If you've never been baptized, uh, we would love to baptize you. It's not a big deal. Just let us know. We can do it today. We'll baptize you in the saving name of Jesus. That's how they did it in the book of Acts, and that's how we do it here at First Church. In Christ is the completion. We are complete in Him. In Him is all of the fulfillment of the Godhead. And so we would love to baptize you. If you've never received the gift of the Spirit, I want you to know, first of all, the Spirit has worked with you. The Spirit is one of the reasons why you're in the house of God today. The Spirit of God will work with you if you're in the deepest sin. But you need confidence in your life that you are filled with that Spirit, and that's what the gift of tongues is. Tongues is not the Holy Ghost. Tongues is a sign of the Holy Ghost. Uh, And so it is that we want to be filled with His Spirit. It's a gift that God gives for our assurance, our spiritual transformation. You will note how the disciples are changed after they're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I want you to receive that in your life. But most of us, we've we've gone through that process. And now now we're in the choice of uh, good works through grace and missional purpose. Many of you do so good in good works of grace. Good works of grace. You do so good. But you've allowed things in your life to kill your missional purpose and calling. Because after all, you're not the preacher, right? You can just sit back and do nothing. <laughs> not really. You, you would get involved. But a lot of times we don't know where. We, we, we don't know how to get started. And so the challenge for us, where the risk is in your life, is your missional purpose. That's where you get nervous. That's where you wonder if anybody will show up. That's when you have to go talk to somebody. That's where the blessings of God are. The blessings of God are on that cutting edge of missional purpose. Are you hearing me? There is a blessing of uh, good works in your life, but that's the blessing of stewardship. That's the blessing of good homes and good living and organized lives. That's not necessarily your missional purpose. And so I want to challenge all of you, good people who are, you're living lives, good works of grace. You don't condemn anybody. You don't try to uh, turn your, you don't try to weaponize your convictions onto other people. You just try to serve God. You you get that. You understand grace and truth. You understand judgment and all that. You're living lives of good works, of grace. God bless you. I want to challenge you to the cutting edge of God's call in your life, which is going to be missional purpose. The Lord wants you to see missional purpose as the proof that you're the real people. You see, that's not how we live. That's not how we live. We, I, I sincerely believe many of us accept good works of grace as our proof, not the going and the giving and the praying of missional purpose, not the loving of others, the perfection of self, good works of grace. And so this is what, if I could, if I could flip a switch and change this, I wish every time you have that wondering, how am I doing? Am I, am I doing okay? Uh, I, I would, I wish that I could, rather than you soothing yourself with good works, I wish you would say, God, what is my missional purpose? What can I do for others? And then I wish you would come to the house of God and look around for somebody that doesn't yet, they haven't yet made friends, and I wish you'd be their first friend. I wish you'd look around your place of employment for somebody who's going through a tough time, and I wish you'd be their first prayer partner. I wish you would. And I wish you would reassure yourself, not with your self-perfection, those good works of grace. I wish you would reassure yourself with the fruit of the Spirit, which are our service, acceptance, inclusion, and love of others. The fruit of the Spirit cannot be completed by yourself. They can only be evidenced 
through others. And so God is calling us, First Church, to a life of missional purpose. You have talents. You have abilities. God wants to use them. I want to pray over you right now. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here. There's so many good, good people here, Lord. And they have, they have, they have really sought to, to, to get their lives honorable, honorable before you. And they have, they have laid aside so many things that weren't helping them. And they've developed convictions, God. And that's so honorable. I love that. I need that. Everybody in this church needs that. Those good works of grace. But Lord Jesus, let us not be comfortable with that as a completeness for our calling. Lord Jesus, help us look to the fields which are ripe and ready to harvest and help us see there is no such thing as selfish Christianity. Once we make it selfish, it's no longer Christianity. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it'll die, it'll bring a great reward. Lord, help us to live our life as missional purpose to the world in which we live. Help us to open our arms of acceptance, our embrace of Christian charity to the world in which you have placed us. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How do you know you're real? Look, look back. Look inward. But don't stop. Open your eyes and look outward upon the fields God has called you to work within. If you're if you're near uh, fairly new here at New Church uh, at First Church, um, and you haven't come to First Steps yet, I would love you to come to First Steps. It's a small group I teach at one o'clock right across the parking lot. Um, uh, I tell you a lot of stories from my past and. Uh, we really get to know each other and we eat together and it's a great time. I want to get to know you. It's the best way I know how to do this, to set aside some time and make some time. Um, today is the first lesson in our next sequence of first steps. Starts right after this service, right across the parking lot. God bless you all. We love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Look to your missional purpose, my brothers and my sisters. Don't just perfect yourself. Look to your purpose. Look to your calling. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.